This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. We've got a fantastic evening this evening with two fantastic guests. We're going to talk about sustainability in education. Can't wait for you to join in with this conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. How do you Tune in, it? talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this episode of Teachers Talk Radio, where we're going to dive into that pressing topic of integrating sustainability into our school curriculum. Now, as the United Nations introduces the Sustainable Development Goals and companies strive to become net zero, we ask, what role does education play in this global shift? And what should we be doing to teach our children? Now, joining us today, we have two distinguished guests. First, we've got Dr. David Dixon, a seasoned educator with over 20 years of experience as a head of three primary schools. And Dr. Dixon has dedicated his career to promoting environmental education and sustainability, forming the central ethos of his schools. Now works as a freelance educator, consultant, specialising in the curriculum and leadership, helping schools link sustainability with school improvement. And our second guest is Tandy Way. She is a lead practitioner for A-Level Biology and also the head of STEAM as well. So in this episode, we're going to explore the transformational power of sustainable learning, community, engagement, and a creative purpose-driven approach to education. We will discuss the challenges schools face in integrating sustainability into their curriculums and offer thoughtful strategies to navigate these hurdles. These conversations not only just about imparting knowledge, it's about nurturing hope, empowering your minds, and fostering a creative and proactive change towards a greener, sustainable future. So tune in for an enlightening discussion that explores the essence of sustainability in education and how it plays a pivotal role in shaping the conscientious citizens of tomorrow. Now, I can see we've got David on the line. Hello. Good evening, David. How are you? Hello. Fine. Well, I'm slightly suffering from a fluey thing, but apart from that, I'm, I'm fine. Brilliant. Lovely to have you on as well. And I think Tandiway should be joining us in a second. I feel like she is listening on. So in a second, she should be joining us too. So, um, David, before we get started... And before we go into this, can you just tell us a little bit more um, about yourself and your journey through education for our listeners? Because I think that's going to be really key to set the scene, because I know this is a topic that's very true to your heart, and you've done an awful lot with this in education so far. Yeah, well, I've been uh, in schools for 35 years, all told, um, 20 of those as a head teacher, uh, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, with um, three primary schools. And originally, I, uh, I trained as a teacher at uh, Ilkley College in West Yorkshire, and it specialised in a strange subject which, um, which co colleges don't um, deal with these days. It was called environmental education. 
So I actually ended up with uh, a Bachelor of Education degree uh, specializing in, in environmental education. And it was um, ideal for me uh, going into primary schools because it was a cross-curricular and a multidisciplined um, subject which really has stood me in good stead as a teacher and eventually as a head teacher. And before that, I was always very interested uh, as a youth in the environment. I had a, one of the um, archetypal free-range childhoods. And so I had a love of the countryside and of uh, the natural world. And even at an early age, I can remember being rather sad when, you know, a motorway was built nearby or, um, you know, a housing estate suddenly filled up some fields that were growing wheat only the year before. So um, all these things came together when I became um, a teacher, having had this environmental education um, background. And um, I sort of took it with me as I... Um, progressed in schools and eventually as a head teacher I was very keen to embed sustainability as it became known in environmental education uh, as being part of that um, because I felt that it was needed as a moral imperative if you like but also it helped to deliver a very experiential dynamic curriculum so uh, everything sort of came together and um, made sense in that way. That's fascinating. And um, I think now we have uh, Tandy. How are you this evening, Tandy? Um, I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having us on the show. Um, Tandy, can you give me a little bit of insight into you, your role, um, and why you've got a passion around sustainability and also STEAM as well? Because I think that's going to really give us the bedrock of our conversation this evening. Um, well, I, um, I'm from originally from Zambia. So I came to the UK when I was uh, about 13, 14. And one of the things that I came with was that I used to be part of an organization there that was based, uh, when I was very And so when I trained to teach, I wanted to also bring that to all my students. And so I started my first STEM STEAM club in 2015 at my first school and managed to get uh, the Parent Teachers Association um, to back it up. And we grew so much in that year. And then from then on, I worked with a lot of organizations um, to just bring STEM and STEAM and sustainability to the classroom as well. Um, and I was lucky enough to also have be a head of department, which meant I could really um, impact the curriculum that we were teaching and really bring the rationale to why sustainability was important. Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arday, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR. 2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. 
visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Now, as we dive into this, I think the first thing we really need to do is how do we define sustainability, especially in the context of education? And when we say sustainability from what the um, the government have and also what UNSCO say and the World Health Organization say and what BBC say, it can be quite a brass and quite um, a raveling term. And so what exactly does it mean, David, from your perspective as an education? And then Tandy, please um, add in some thoughts afterwards. Well, I think it, it is difficult, actually, to put it in a nutshell. And that's part of the problem, I think, that if you can't sort of encapsulate it easily, then that's one of the reasons why I don't think it's valued by some quite as much as it should be. Anyway, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that aspect of it um, you know, later in the evening. But um, really, it, it's not just the green stuff. And I get a bit frustrated when I'm talking to people um, in education as much as in everyday life, um, when we talk about sustainability, it always seems to be about the green stuff. And really, it, I think that it uh, embraces far wider things than that in terms of social, uh, economic, and environmental. And I think often people sort of fixate on, well, is it green? Um, and, and if it is, then that's what sustainability is all about. So I think aspects of um, social education and citizenship and these these uh, humanities sides of sustainability is just as important as the scientific side and also we've got to take into account the economic um, angle of it as well because really it's the economics that's sending us to hell in the hand kind under the environment because we're extracting too much out of the biosphere um, faster than the the earth can replenish itself so uh, I think you've got to look at it in, in these sort of broad terms and try and bring them all together if you're going to make sense of it at all. Excellent. And Tandy, what would you add on to that um, idea from David, particularly this thing, it's not just the green stuff? I totally agree with what David is saying. And I think if we look at the science curriculum for instance there's loads of opportunities where you could have those discussions that cover all the three areas that David is talking about and I think when you look at the definition of what sustainability is David has clearly said you know we're teaching young people to think of future generations so there's there's a lot of things that come into that as well so I agree it's absolutely fundamental that we look at all the different strands of sustainability not just the green part 
Um, when I was doing some research for this show, um, 2023 was the second warmest year on record. And if you just look at what is out there with UNICEF and even Chris Packman recently is legally challenging Rishi Sunak's decision to tear the government's rollback on net zero, it is a broad subject. It is a huge subject that we would have to explore. So why then is it significant for schools to look at? I'll start with you, Tandy. Why do you think sustainability is a topic that we should be discussing tonight and also a topic that they should be discussing within their own schools as well? I think it's important really because one of the key things we teach our students is that resources are finite and therefore they are going to be the same people in future years that are going to be making the decisions that governments are making right now and therefore they need to have a well-informed sort of baseline so that they go into the right careers, the right choices, and they can affect other people making those decisions later on in life as well. So I think it's absolutely important. Important. It's also the idea that we want students to be global citizens and global citizens work as a community and we want them to contribute to that community as a whole as well. And David, then, why why is it such a significant issue? Why isn't it something that as schools where we're balancing many plates? And I know you've been ahead of three schools in your illustrious career of 35 years. Um, but there are so many things to balance, not just the estate, not just the economic, but also the education. Isn't this just another add-on or should this be something else that we really consider as a contemporary issue? Well, I think if you are looking at it as a contemporary issue, which it, which it obviously is, you need to think about education uh, in depth in terms of what it's been doing for the last, well, the last 150 years, and to take a fresh look at it. Because if you think about it, the education system that was set up, and generally speaking, it's sort of the Victorian model, which has been adapted over time, um, that was all about how it linked to economics and had to, to uh, allow children to uh, be better educated so that they could then join a workforce and then earn money and then have a better lifestyle, which is no, no bad thing, and I'm not criticizing that at all. But I think now the, the needs are substantially different because it's not just a question of teaching children how to read and write, teach them some science and some uh, other valuable knowledge about the world, and then uh, let them loose to exploit it further so that they can add to the, uh, the problems that we've got in terms of um, over, overuse of resources. Uh, it it uh, links to Tandy's point about you know, a finite planet and all this sort of stuff. So the, the system as it stands at the moment is really, in my opinion, uh, adding to the problems rather than trying to address some of the solutions that we need to address. I mean, we, we're tinkering at it, but I think it needs a slightly more um, nuanced approach and more radical approach, really, if we're going to embed sustainability so that we can say that we're fit for purpose as an education service so that our civilization can continue for the foreseeable future. 
Now, as it stands, it really props up business as usual. So if we carry on propping up business as usual as an education service, then it means we are going to continue to deplete the planet of its resources. And of course, as a result of that, you end up with things like climate change and biodiversity loss and all the other nasties that, that we, we keep hearing about. So I think we really do need to take a fundamental look at ourselves as educators and think, are we part of the problem or are we part of the solution? And if we are, are to be truly part of the solution, above and beyond greenwash, then we need to take a, another look at things and, and think about how we're, how we're operating. And you know, from my point of view, having thought about this an awful lot, unsurprisingly, it means that really you can't get away from embedding sustainability through everything uh, so that it's a golden thread through all the curriculum and the way the school operates which I can go into more detail later, perhaps. But unless that happens, I think, as I said, we're going to continue to be part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So what parts of the problem then, David? I want to really explore. Um, let's start with the curriculum side of it, and then we will look at probably more of the operational side and some of the things that even the um, DFE have released later, because you say there's lots here to explore um but i want to get some real concrete things about what do you mean that we are part of the problem um within this sustainability and almost we are in this finite planet and if we don't do anything we continue business as usual as you both alluded to um so yeah what are some of the problems with the curriculum let's say and i know um tandy has some nice really nice ideas about um, stem and steam and um history and science elements as well within that so let's let's explore the curriculum a bit david first well if you uh, if you look at the curriculum as it stands uh, and you just take it at face value which i know lots of schools don't do um but if you do take it at face value then the sustainability part of it really is it seems to be lodged in geography and in science and I think um, Amanda Spielman, the um, you know, ex-Ofsted head, uh, was very uh, eager to, to point this out and to warn schools off, um, sort of putting it into any other subject or area, because she felt that that was then getting political. So um, it, it shouldn't just be lodged in those subjects. I think, it, as I said, it needs to be a golden thread that goes through everything. And we need to look at, if you're looking at the social sustainability, well, what does that mean in terms of being good citizens um, and um, acting in ways which aren't going to damage the planet? And it's about behavior as much as knowledge in, in that area. So you do need the science, which is tremendously important, the science technology side of it. But you also need the humanity side of it, because really what we're talking about um, in terms of some of education not being fit for purpose in this context is that we've got a toxic culture as much as everything else is becoming toxic in terms of the, the physical environment. We have a toxic culture which is continuing to deplete the natural world. So if we've, if we've got a generation of young people and, and of uh, teachers at the same time who appreciate that we need to be gentle with the planet, we are stewards of the planet, we need to treat ourselves well in terms of our own health and also the health and welfare of others, both local and global, then these are the sort, this is the sort of ethos that's needed in order to complement the knowledge bases which will come from you know, the natural sciences. 
So without without it integrating, then you haven't got um, terms of reference that, that people can then understand. And then that, that then leads to, as we were talking about earlier, it leads to a, a better definition of sustainability in the round. And so, Tandu, what are some of those tangible um, elements of the curriculum where you've been able to weave sustainability in? And then um, same question for David at the end of that as well, because we're now talking about these broad aspects. Um, but I want some tangible ideas that, that you have both seen or implemented yourself within schools that within the curriculum. So it's not just those geography and science elements. What are some of those activities or sequences or even assemblies or PD that you've done that actually have really been great ideas for teachers to take away and think about implementing over these next few terms and years within their own curriculum? Um, one of the um, ideas that we trialed um, at my last school was we started using student ambassadors and I've carried that on and I've done it in almost every school that I've worked in. And we use student ambassadors and we give them the opportunity to start clubs. And one of our uh, year 11s at the time started a year 11 planet protectors club. And what it covered, it wasn't just the idea of seeing students every Tuesday after school because that was just too narrow a focus. It's the idea that we went to the canteen and looked at their waste production and then we brought that to science lessons and we sketched we drew graphs from that data and then we talked about what could we do so that students could could suggest ideas for the student council. Um, when they meet with the head teacher, they could write letters to members of parliament. So using student ambassadors to then spearhead whatever change we wanted was really, really good. And what that meant is that people around the school were all talking about uh, planet protectors. They were Yes, they were talking about it in the context of our STEM club, but all the students understood what we were doing and what we were trying to do on a large scale. Um, it's also conversations with other subject leads as well. So we did um, an Earth Day with English and the Year 7s did a lesson in English, a lesson in history, a lesson in geography, a lesson in science, and they brought everything together so that you're covering as many students as possible and you're exposing as many students as possible to the idea of sustainability and sustainable practices as well. David, have you done anything similar with um, like Earth Days or with ambassadors within your schools or with the schools you've worked with as well um, that have really opened up their eyes and, as Tandy said, actually try and reach as many people um, as possible? Yeah, we used to um, celebrate Earth Day, which uh, there are two Earth Days actually, but one, I think, um, April the 22nd. Uh, every year is an international Earth Day, and we um, we did that and, and had lots of um, activities going to show uh, the parents actually invite the parents in to uh, see what we were doing in terms of the curriculum. Um, one example of that was uh, we aimed to give every single child in the school every year what we called a seed to plate experience. So they grew something, they harvested it, uh, and then they they cooked it and then they ate it. Uh, and that brought in lots of areas um, in the curriculum that um, 
you know, were useful for the children. And it also uh, was a, an exemplar for parents as well. And it, we had a, a parent gardening club that, that complemented this. And we ended up producing a lot of our own food. And we, we took over our school kitchen in two of my schools. And, and a lot of the food then got channeled into the school kitchen. And it, it meant that we could use that for school lunches every day. Um, so that, that's one example. Um, another one is uh, I was working with a school quite recently where nearby, this is in London, there was an ancient woodland, a piece of ancient woodland, a fragment had been left over from the Great North Wood. And it was about six miles from Buckingham Palace as the, as the crow flies. So the, the children in the school, they studied the biodiversity of the wood. They looked at the history of it. They found out there was a Roman road running through it. Uh, which linked into their, their Roman topics. Uh, but they did uh, bio-blitzes, so they understood the flora and fauna uh, to, in, in a highly detailed way. They did a big butterfly count when, when that happens every year. And then through that means, they were able to lobby uh, the local council uh, to save it because it was under threat from a developer. And in the end, to cut a very long story short, the, the council stepped in and... Um, they, they're about to make a compulsory purchase order on the wood so that it could be saved for posterity. And a lot of it was down to the work of the schools uh, because they, through their knowledge, through the history and the geography and the science, they became well acquainted with it. They were then very shocked to hear that it was going to be cut down. So as a result of that, we had pupil activism in order to lobby to save it. But they were doing it from uh, a knowledge base that was very rich. And that was very, very powerful for them because they were they, they were active citizens on the back of the work that they'd done uh, with this particular wood. That's such a fascinating story. And um, I wrote a question right at the beginning. Is sustainability valued by all? And by that, I mean student activism, um, the teachers as well, you as leaders, but also parents, because... Often with something like this or same idea with digital technology and other things, every generation or every cohort or every stakeholder will have different perceptions of it. So, David, you've talked some brilliant ideas about um, in primary where you've had massive student activism and then that's actually almost, it seems to, and please allude if I'm wrong, brought in parents and brought in leaders and brought in like council members see that this is a really core concept that children and pupils are passionate about because at the end of the day we're leaving the world in a worse place for them to go into and how we even get our heads around that is mind-boggling in some ways yes that's right and i think it, it's um tandy is sort of mentioned as well it's a, a local to global uh, dimension that you need with all this because in the case of this study of a wood then it, it's it's no good just studying the rainforest and then bemoaning how that's been cut down when on your very doorstep you've got an ancient woodland that is also going to be cut down so by getting the children to be involved with their locality in this case a local wood it means they have more empathy and knowledge uh, which they can then, and then apply to other circumstances. So if you are looking at the Amazon and you are looking at the problems there, then they've got some sort of tangible uh, emotional investment um, in, in, the, 
in the whole learning process. And I think wherever, I mean, above and beyond sustainability, if you've got emotional attachment to learning, then you're, you're likely to have very powerful learning. And so this is where the skillful pedagogy and um, all those sort of implications come into it as well. So that you're, you're showing that sustainability actually means um, high quality teaching and learning. Excellent. Sandy, what have you seen different perceptions from the students you've worked with and maybe um, getting parents involved or local companies or other people to try and showcase the work you have done within school as well? Yes, um, one of the uh, best projects a group of year 11s did during lockdown when they were sent home early was they worked on looking at um, filtering microplastics from the environment and their project was really successful and they won the global competition for that year and what then happened is they were invited to parliament and they had to talk to our local MP as well and as a result of that we also then expanded that to all our year groups and they then looked at composting and how we could encourage communities to compost so over half term all the students gathered composting data in their houses and then came up with solutions and then started going into their communities to look at to teach them and to talk to people about sustainable composting as well. So yes, definitely um, it changed perceptions in students. Um, I think the most important thing is as we are teaching students to be or young people to be sustainable, we need to kind of reflect on some of the practices we have in schools as well. There's no point me asking students to be less wasteful if they can see that we are wasteful in school. So I think if there's a top-down approach there where we're leading by example, they'll go out into the community and they'll lead by example and we should see the impact then as well. So before we go down to some of those um, top-down approaches, especially my bugbear at the moment is sticking paper on paper. Um, why do we print off so many worksheets and then stick it on paper as well? And it's, it's duplicating that element of it. What then are some of those common challenges of involve, involving sustainability within the curriculum? And I know already, David, you alluded to where the government and the DfE um, and Ofsted tried to say, okay, um, all of this shouldn't be in subjects that aren't science, for example, on geography. And I know Michael Gove was very much part of that in the um, originally about quite a few years ago now but what are some of those other challenges that you've seen in getting involved like you both said about english activities you've got through about that um seed to mouth what are some of those challenges you've come across and how have you overcome those to show leaders or teachers that actually this is purposeful but also we can integrate it within the rich and diverse curriculum that we are doing because it's built in good pedagogy, good understandings, and it is almost the right thing to do. So I'll start with you, David, before I go to Tandy. I think part of the challenge that I've had um, throughout the years as a head is that many of the staff actually don't have um, a big knowledge set themselves about sustainability because uh, understandably, you know, they haven't had necessarily a free range childhood and gone through a college university course, et cetera, et cetera, that will help them to have a, um, a solid knowledge base. 
uh, across the board with sustainability. So, um, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, a lot of the work I did in my schools was actually with staff uh, to make sure that there was um, inset on these aspects of sustainability, so that they had a you know a good working knowledge of it, uh, and then um, progress on to well, how can we get more of this into the curriculum? But without the staff having had um, a certain amount of training, um, but also the license to adapt the curriculum, um, then it meant that they were they were up against it. And this is where I talk to teachers quite a lot, uh, where they're quite frustrated because the senior leadership hasn't had buy-in with this. And the one thing I had got was buy-in. Um, so it meant that uh, I was trying to encourage them along these lines rather than saying, well, these are certain lines of demarcation that you must not cross. Regarding the, um, the problem, the, the potential problem with uh, perceptions of Ofsted, etc., well, if you think about it, we do teach children to, um, to, to behave well um, and to look after each other and to um, you know, have a certain civilized approach to things. And so it, it fits with that remit. They, they can't really argue with that. Uh, we, we, we say that uh, we should have um, you know, equal opportunities, that we, we, shouldn't, that we shouldn't have uh, bullying, uh, we, we shouldn't exploit other people. So all that really is, is part of um, a sustainable outlook. And if you then link that, as I was saying earlier, if you link that to the, the physical dimension of it in terms of um, resources and how we use the resources, then it means that uh, we're not exploiting people and planet. Um, and, and people can't really uh, argue with that because it is the right thing to do. Um, and as long as you're not seeming to propagandize, then uh, the powers that be, you know, they'll just accept it and they'll, they'll just uh, appreciate that you are producing well-informed citizens. Excellent. Tandy, what are some of those experiences or problems that you have seen with um, delivering this as a teacher <laughs> but also advocating it as well within the schools you've worked with? I think the biggest challenge has been time. Um, in the sense that it's required that I give up a lot of my extra time. And therefore, if I wanted other teachers to do the same thing, um, the time aspect will have to be um, looked at. And linked with that would then be funding. And it's the idea that some of the things you need to do, some of the practices that are in schools that we need to change will require an input of funds. And that then requires that whoever's leading that idea or that project needs to then convince governors, parents, teachers, associations, senior leadership team to all have the buy-in and to see the potential. And as David said, I think the lack of knowledge into what that looks like sometimes may affect buy-in as well. Um, teachers who want to do this may be lower down in the ladder, so therefore they don't have as much agency to make those changes. And then I think the other challenge I would also think about is there's a focus on teaching and learning 
principles to do with knowledge-rich curriculums. And I think sometimes there's a misconception that teachers that want to focus on sustainability may not necessarily follow those teaching and learning principles. But I think David has clearly stated that we are still teaching students to learn. We will still use good quality questioning, high clarity of explanations. We are imparting knowledge onto them. Uh, we're not just leaving them to just find these things out. So I think there's a few barriers there. And going back to this question that you have both brought up, it is how do we then increase the knowledge set of these teachers? So it is not a political, let's say, uh, perspective on it, but it actually it is something that we can give them the science behind, that we can give them unbiased opinions and say, actually, this is a core element. Because... The Snowdrop Solutions recently came out and said that in the UK, 75% of adults worry about climate change and 81% reported making changes to their lifestyle. So whether it is the eco brands when you go shopping um, or whether it is looking at electric cars. But sustainability is a national concern of the UK. There's been an increase in the search of sustainability-related items such as recycling and plastics, and there are even some counties that don't do food waste and some that do, some that have like 10 different bins to sort out your, your recycling and some that don't. And apparently 60% of the 1,200 British adults that they surveyed they would even said they would go for sustainability banking options if they had that. So how can we increase that knowledge base? Because too often, and making sure it's not biased, we could just jump on a bandwagon of, right, this is the next um, big thing in sustainability. This product's going to make a big difference, or this way of living is going to make a big difference. Um, and the impact of that could be huge. But also, we don't want to be political and advocating a particular way as well. Um, I'll start with you, Tandy, with that perspective, and then pass over to David. I think one thing that we need to look at is looking at those organisations that are spearheading the sustainability movement and looking at what resources they're producing. And I think having those honest conversations with organizations that are producing resources, that they are quality ready to use resources, because if teachers don't have enough time to then adapt those resources and spend hours adapting them to the degree that they need them, then we need resources that are almost ready to use. And it's looking at talking to exam boards and all these various sectors that work to produce resources for education and making sure that those resources are ready to use. I also think from an education standpoint that if ITT then included some of this into their programs, um, some of the projects, the Year 7 project I spoke about was run by one of our amazing PGCEs and uh, the ITT program that he was on really advocated for that sort of work to be done in, in the schools that the trainees were working in. So I think there's areas that we could um, look at to sort of cut back some of these challenges and tackle some of these challenges as well as spearhead the movement as well. And David, how, how are we going to increase that knowledge set of teachers? 
There are, no, there are no easy answers, but I think certainly part of it is to enable teachers and, by extension, um, students and children to have more critical thinking about what is actually in the curriculum. Because although people criticise the national curriculum quite a lot, um, really there's enough flexibility in there to, to have um, sustainability in every subject. As I was saying, as a, a golden thread that runs through everything and, and have a bit more um, joined up thinking on that. And when I say critical thinking, I mean um, realizing um, first principles on sustainability and looking at how you can do audit trails backwards at, for any particular product or service that we have. So I'll give you an example. If you say, think that we all ought to have electric cars, well, okay, electric cars sound green, but if you actually do an audit trail backwards to the production and the eventually the raw materials that you need for electric cars, they're not as green as they might seem. And then you might start to question whether we should be replacing all the internal combustion engine cars just with electric cars, or whether we should have less cars. And if you, if you look at the embodied carbon within any car, whether it's internal combustion or electric, then it's a huge burden. Um, on the planet, planetary resources. So that's just one example of um, providing children and teachers with, with some critical thinking in, in terms of what we're using and why we're using them and who's exploiting who and what's being exploited and what the consequences are of this. So you can do that in any, any area that you like. Um, an example, say, in history might be uh, looking at the decolonizing agenda. So if you look at history in that light, then um, you can see definitely over the ages who has been exploiting who. And, and a, an example of that with one school I was working with recently was that we were looking at um, explorers, the great primary uh, topic of explorers, and um, a particular year group were looking at, looking at Captain Cook and how he discovered Australia. Well, obviously... He didn't really discover Australia because there were indigenous Australians there for 47,000 years before he turned up. So we couched the topic in terms of Captain Cook, hero or villain. And that immediately starts to um, look at it in a different way and have a different perception of it. So I think if you start to inform teachers of this way of thinking with the curriculum and give them a bit more freedom in terms of how they plan it over time, then one, you're not um, hell-bent on just delivering knowledge to the children, although knowledge in, is, you know, a certain amount of knowledge is very valuable, of course. But you're looking at skills, and you're looking at um, how you can um, encourage children to be critical thinkers and, and teachers to be critical thinkers as well. Because, uh, unfortunately, the system as we've got now, is, is we're all sort of, we all tend to be boiled frogs by the system. Um, and I think we need to perhaps step back a bit and think, well, what are we doing and why are we doing it? And, and impart that through the curriculum as well. Um, not, not in a, a dictatorial way with the children or trying to brainwash them, but um, just to inject this extra dimension of critical thinking so that uh, we are actually making better sense of things and um, helping us to embed sustainability across the board. I love that phrase, boiled frogs. Um, but yeah, you're completely right from what I've seen in my experience of working with schools. 
and making it this golden thread. And one thing to talk from the primary perspective over the last few years, we've been a lot better at thinking about the why. Why do we teach that? And I think the one of the beauties of um, the primary curriculum in particular is, yes, we have the national curriculum that we follow, but embedding these themes and enacting on the knowledge and the skills that we are delivering for children are really important. And what we start seeing more and more of at the moment is opportunities for not only in the curriculum side, but also for the economic and for the systems and operational side as well. So I want to um, move on to that element. And I said earlier, well, my bugbears is um, sticking paper on paper. So what are some of the things that you have seen or would you suggest to schools to think about or consider when you're looking at um, the operational or the economic side of sustainability and what you can do in that regard as well? Start with you, Tandy. I think I agree with the sticking paper on paper. I think a lot of schools are, are now moving to booklets and one of the advantages of that has been it's cut back on um, using glue sticks and you, buying extra books. But also I think a way that teachers could look at that and decision makers could look at that is we do, for instance, in science, what David alluded to called life cycle assessments. And therefore, if you are trying to teach sustainable practices, you are then using a glue stick. How has that glue stick been produced? What have been the raw materials? What has been the impact on the environment of each stage of the production of those glue sticks? And then we throw them away. I think mini whiteboards are the next thing because they are cheap to get if you don't buy refillable ones, but are they sustainable? It's the idea that, with throwing away so many, many whiteboard pens um, after two or three uses, but could we maybe think about more sustainable practices um, to do with mini whiteboard pens, which are an absolute game changer in terms of teaching and learning, but our use of them may not be as sustainable as it could be. And uh, David, what are some of the, so we've got mini whiteboards, this like room 101. Um, in terms of sustainability. So mini whiteboards, sticking paper on paper, going down the booklets route as well. David, what are some of your other things you've seen? And I know Dens has um, in the chat about food produce, which I know you, you talked, you alluded to a little bit about your seed to mouth program earlier, David. Yeah, well, I mean, Tandy gave some great examples there. I mean, when I went to my third, my third and final school, I was shocked at what they threw out at the end of the summer term. And the tradition was, and I think other schools do this, you have um, a couple of skips, and then the teachers in the last week of term, um, along with the pupils, go and throw everything away that they think they're not going to need for the next academic year. Well, um, I sort of dramatically got into these skips, and, and with the um, site manager, we took a lot of things out. And we showed it to the staff and said, well, some of this could be recycled. Some of it could be passed on to other classes. Some of it could be mended uh, because it's, it's only got you know, a very minor thing wrong with it. And we ended up uh, with most of the stuff back out of the skip again. And 
the staff were, I mean, we did this in a lighthearted way and the staff were highly amused by this, but it did sort of set the scene for uh, what I wanted to do in the school. And they were reminded of it, you know, when we started to look at other aspects of, of sustainability. Um, one particular operational um, function in the school, which we did look at um, in earnest, like many schools are now, uh, was the energy usage. So how we could cut that down. And just by behavior change, by, you know, switching things off and not needing them, by closing doors, particularly in winter when uh, you wanted to keep the, the heat in, etc., we managed to get our our very badly uh, energy efficient uh, building from uh, an E up to a C, um, which was you know, pretty good. And that was just through behavior change. So that was before any uh, refit, uh, putting LEDs in or insulation or micro generation, etc. So um, that was very valuable in itself. And then we we had that in the curriculum, so that children were looking at the the energy levels that we were using, um, and we gave them the data and went through the data with, with some of them. And then they took that information and they took that knowledge home in order to help their parents save energy at home. And because we served a very disadvantaged community, most of the parents did suffer from fuel poverty, which is uh, deemed as being 10% you know, of your income goes into your, your energy. So the children could take that knowledge home uh, and that was then of a benefit to the community. So, that, so once again, it was embedded in the curriculum, it was embedded in the children, and then it, it benefited their parents when they went home. That community element is so important. And I think that's something, especially since COVID, um, I think it's come much more to the forefront in the last uh, year or so when we've allowed parents in, we've allowed that integration um, more. Because I think that whole rounded approach, a school is not just its own little thing, that's where the children go. Actually, there is a whole community element. And bringing those parents up to speed, providing that support. Because it does feel like um, it's everything's on the school's responsibility. And you go and see celebrities or you go and see other people that are that are doing some fantastic work, but then also they will say, well, that should be delivered in school or teachers should be able to do that. And sometimes what we need to do is plant that seed for that to grow, for that to develop, not only into the teachers, into the pupils, and then develop that out as you go as well. But how have you got um, parental involvement then, David or Tandy? And how have you got that integration and how to get their buy-in so they can see an impact of this as well? Uh, Tandy, do you want to...? Yeah, I'll do this. I'll, do, I'll go first. Thank you. Um, so one of the things we did with our STEAM club is we... Uh, managed to get students to present all the ideas that we had as regards planet protectors to the parents uh, and the governors. And they actually went and spoke at the governor's meeting, which got a lot of buy-in from parents. But also, as with anything that schools do, getting parental buy-in is absolutely vital. So using your VLE is, is an idea. So class charts, show my homework, any of those VLEs that we're using, if you post 
um, homework or project ideas or anything like that to students, their parents will be able to see that as well. So therefore, the parents will be aware and making sure that you are keeping in touch and celebrating all the amazing things that students are doing as regards sustainability um, projects that they're doing. And I think it's also making sure that you can invite parents over. So David mentioned having an event where parents can come and see what the young people have been up to in school. And I think that's really important that students can come and showcase what they've been doing with their parents as well. And David, what are some of those other things you've seen that have had a massive impact in getting those parents involved? Well, apart from the, the energy project, which I, I just mentioned, uh, another school I worked with recently, they expanded the range of items in their school shop. So they, they started to provide um, refillable detergent, you know, washing liquid, this sort of thing, um, as well as expanding their, their secondhand uniform um, range as well. So that, uh, uh, but they, they explicitly said to the parents why they, why they were doing this. And then that, that got a good take-up, actually, over time. Um, and they also linked it to the, the sort of stuff I described earlier in terms of um, gardening. So even the small, the um, earlier children, they, they'd grow something in pots, and then one of the pots they'd take, they'd take home and grow it on in their, in their own garden or in their own window box. So anything like that, I think, really does interest parents. And then it starts to... Um, so by, by sort of um, osmosis process, uh, sustainability starts to broaden away from the, the borders of the school. And we, I mean, I use a model that um, involves the, the curriculum, the campus, and the community, three Cs, curriculum, campus, community. And they were sort of integrated so that you could um, look at any particular topic that you were doing in the school and think, well, how could we use the um, the campus to, to deliver this and how might that then involve the community and vice versa so it wasn't always us giving out to the community uh, ideas it was actually embracing the community as well who, and, and as I said uh, my school's sort of disadvantaged communities but we had things like international evenings where parents would be encouraged to come in and share international dishes and my last school we had um, people from over 60 different countries uh, and we had a, an amazing variety of dishes that they brought in. And we, we got the children to look at what the ingredients were and where they came from. And, and, it, and it, once again, it gave a local to global, but it also showed the, the community that we valued it. Even though it was disadvantaged in many ways, economically, uh, we, we valued its cultures. Um, and so once again, that was a win-win for us. Uh, and it meant that the relationships with, with parents was better. And in, in the bigger scheme of things, that in itself is a sustainable community then because you're getting the relationships right. This is what I've said you know, uh, at the start of the, the evening. Um, social sustainability is just as important as the, uh, as the other aspects. And I love that three Cs, the curriculum, the campus, and the community, a really simple way um, to look at something but make sure you actually cover all of those aspects and as you say allude to that social element 
Bet UK is just two weeks away. Are you ready to join 30,000 attendees, 600 plus exhibitors on seven content stages from 120 countries and see Louis Theroux, Dame Darcy Bustle, Jason Arde, Laurel Carner, Baroness Luella Benjamin, Dan Fitzpatrick, Mr. PICT and so much more. I might need to bring my trainers. The best part? Educators go free. Get your ticket now at uk.betshow.com forward slash visitor dash registration. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving, and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit eatonx.com to find out more. Though we can talk to, uh, to adults and to teachers, I think about the impact and we can give them statistics, especially for some of our younger learners, maybe. Pure data, wherever it is, whether we're checking energy consumption or other things can be quite abstract and quite be quite hard. So how then can we show the impact of our actions, whether it is um, food miles or the local to global or refilling water um, or detergents and those, how can we show that's actually having an impact on the children within school and making it tangible for them as well? Start with you, Tandy. I think just bringing it down to data and making it applicable to them. So if they've done something in the canteen that's really changed the waste, um, you know, the volume of waste that's being produced, that could be something it's really quite easy to go to the head chef and get that data so that in your lessons, for instance, when you're teaching about food waste, you could use the data for the school and you could use what the eco club or the sustainability club or whatever um, bodies you have in the school are doing. You could use their results and show that this is actually um, improving and there's something actually being done about it. Um, one of the things that I remember doing as well is when um, a group of my students won uh, the global competition, we then embedded their winning video into our curriculum. So whenever that lesson was being taught or that topic was being taught, they actually saw faces of students they knew. And those students then went on to study um, sustainability degrees to do with chemistry. So therefore, we then have those alumni links and they could come back to show what they're doing and what they're working on in terms of innovations as well. So I think, yes, there's a lot of data that goes with this, but you could do small things within the school 
that you focus on and then show those in results in a way that students understand that it's having an impact. Brilliant. And I think that's one um, idea that Dens will um, find useful in the chat as well, because he said he's hoping to get his school's shop to stop selling bottled water and have refill bottles as a habit. I know my son's school recently just purchased um, refillable water bottles for every student. Now, that is an outlay um, in terms of an operational and economic point of view, but actually the impact that will have within making sure children are healthy, but also encourage that not only in school, but within the community, that refilling is great. And I loved it on the continent when I went to go and visit Italy a few years ago. You could go and fit, refill your water bottle anywhere. Over here in the UK, it's really difficult um, to do that and the same thing. And I think sometimes our society, we have to change and make changes um, about how we live and work. But these conversations and actions are are getting there as well. So, David, how do you make, apart from the data, how do you make it tangible for um, our pupils to make sure it is at the forefront of their minds, they're thinking about it? And as you say, are critical thinkers themselves in this um, ever-evolving world that we live in? Well, I think the, the word you've used, tangible, uh, is the key because if you think about it, and particularly in primary schools, but not exclusively, if things are tangible, if you are providing experiential learning of high quality, and as I was mentioning earlier, and you've got more emotional buy-in, and you've also got more um, interested pupils, you've got more motivated pupils, because there's more hands-on. I mean, another sort of uh, threesome is head, heart, hands. And if you've got more learning experiences with head, heart, and hands element to them, then the children are going to be more engaged and are going to retain more um, certain things that they do. They'll, they'll remember for the rest of their lives. I think if we can all think of um, instances in schools that, that had those three elements. And this is why we remember them even to this day. Um, I'm thinking things like um, activities in forest school, for instance. Um, but anything really that, that sort of um, examples that Tandy has, uh, has mentioned uh, can provide real-life learning opportunities that are, are then fed into uh, the, the overall learning of the children and the, the, way, the, the, the quality of it. So it's, it's all good quality stuff, this. And if you, they're just learning from books all the time, then that's not going to really cut the mustard. I think... I know you alluded to the Victorian age um, of education over the last 150 years, and it's something I often allude to. Um, we need to go back, and which we've been good at in the last few years, about the why. What are we doing and why are we doing it? And, and really be critical, not only as us as teachers, but also as leaders, thinking about that element of it and making it tangible for those people. Because engagement is important. Um, and often motivation and engagement comes after actually having a topic or an idea that is really provoking for them, that really makes some questions and really make them think about those things. So we've talked uh, quite a lot about curriculum. We've talked about some of those things you can do within school. But then when we're thinking about another layer to this, there's always the another agenda. And so if you had 
an open line to the powers that be uh, in government, which is always quite a fun question to have. Um, what would you want them to? What would you want to say to them? And what would you want them to do to ensure that actually schools get the support? Because they have in 2022, the DfE did release um, a sustainability and climate change strategy. They provided an update last month um, in 2023, and they are have agreed, um, endorsed with 40 other um, uh, countries that developed the Green Education Partnership with UNESCO, um, and where they do look at the curriculum. And they have started looking at buildings, making sure they're net zero, and implementing compulsory standardization of new building guidance. They're releasing guidance on reducing energy. They're talking about the climate ambassador programs, as well as looking at releasing more support around purchasing IT equipment and going through that to make sure that we are sustainable. But if you had an open line, Tandy, what would you want to say to government? And what would you also want them to, um, and how would you want them to support you as a leader within a school? I think the biggest thing is the main barrier that a lot of schools are facing at the moment is the shortage in, in some subjects. And it's, going to impact really what's being delivered in the classroom so I think what I would like to say is let's have some more practical ways of solving the shortage of for instance science teachers because we want to spearhead sustainability in every school we want all students to be able to have um, access to sustainable teaching and sustainability teaching resources and we can't do that if we don't have teachers so I think there needs to be a really targeted better approach to to covering the recruitment um, shortages. The other thing I would also want government to think about is are they listening to young people? There are enough young people talking about sustainability and the planet at the moment. And if they are, is there, yes, they've released a, a, a strategy or a policy and the document that you've referred to, but how clear it is for a young person to look at that and know exactly what the government is doing. Is it that clear? And if it isn't, then it needs to be made clearer for young people to follow as well. Definitely agree. And David, same question to you. If you had an open line to the powers that be, what do you want to say to them and what do you think they need to do? But also, what are some of those things that they could do quite immediately, almost within the next 12 to 18 months, that would help schools really embed this as part of the curriculum but not only the curriculum part of the whole operation and economic side of it as well well i think one problem that um, governments of all persuasions have had over the years and this is added to the the problem that i was describing earlier is that they're still really um based in business as usual so they all talk about we need more growth so economic growth is still the mantra which they think will um, you know, solve everything. So if, you're going to, if, if you ignore that for a minute, which I think is, is quite a big elephant in the room, 
Um, one thing which I think could be more easily um, addressed is perhaps, uh, and in the light of um, the way that lots of people have been questioning Ofsted, is to have Ofsted actually have sustainability as part of their inspection framework um, and to have criteria that schools need to uh, work to. And that means really having it not as a non-statutory area, uh, have it as a statutory area. Now, I wouldn't normally say this because uh, I think it, it smacks of um, Big Brother, but I think because of the climate and biodiversity crisis that we're in, then really we need to be on a wartime footing with some of this stuff. And so rather than an incremental cautious approach, I think we need probably now to get more heavy handed and say, yes, we, we definitely need to have these areas in the school curriculum and the way the schools operate. We need to have schools that will also reach out to their, their communities in the way that we've described. And so the logical extension of that is to have it as part of the Ofsted framework. And then for head teachers, leaders who um, wait to see what happens, um, they will be forced into it because I think it's come to the stage where we need that. Otherwise, you'll have certain schools doing fantastic things uh, and then you'll have a, a gradation of fantastic things until you, you've still got many schools that say they haven't got time for this stuff or you've got school leaders who will delegate it to uh, junior members of staff and think that they've ticked the boxes. So I would go for uh, have it as part of the Ofted framework and have it statutory. I think that's a really interesting point, especially considering that all the metrics and all the challenges are meeting things by 2025 or then meeting um, certain goals, such as the Paris Agreement by 2030, for example. We're never going to meet those if actually we don't take ownership. And that's a really um, interesting approach to it, but something that I think we all need to look at. So, on the flip side, then, what is the danger? if we don't put it as statutory or we don't put the um, onus on it that it should have Tandy, that will make sure that um, some schools are doing it really well and some schools aren't doing it well? And what is the impact if we don't do something about sustainability within the operational, within the social, within our community and within the curriculum as well? I think the immediate impact is you are then sending uh, young adults into society who have a varied um, experience of what sustainability is. And ideally is what we want is for them to be skilled enough to go into their future endeavours and they can actually use what they've done at school and what they've learned. So that's quite an immediate impact. The broader impact then is really this is planet earth we're talking about we need future generations to have a safe place to live we need them to have food we need them to have high quality water and it, every single person is responsible for making sure that we look after the resources that we are using right now and look after our planet it is common sense but maybe not so common yet. When I was doing some research um, for this, one of the facts I came across that was um, 
devastating. I think it's the only word for it. UNICEF came out that every year, due to environmental factors, it takes the lives of 1.7 billion children under the age of five. And so, David, what are your thoughts on that? If we don't make this industry, what is going to be the impact um, within the current generation, but also in the future? And um, in that regard as well. Well, picking up from your last point about um, what UNICEF said, I think uh, sustainability really is the ultimate child protection issue. I mean, we do literally borrow the planet from our children. And um, as you said earlier, uh, we're not going to be leaving it in a very good state as, as it stands at the moment. So um, I think that this is what we need to think about in terms of uh, going forward. Um, this gets back to business as usual, really, and, and growth on a finite planet. And, so, and unless those sort of pennies drop, then we're still going to be too incremental about the whole thing um, because we are reaching certain tipping points, as we know. So I think that but there's a lot of hope there as well. And I think, um, you know, as, as Tandy's described and as I've described as well, there are things in schools which we can do now that can be quite radical. Um, I'm thinking particularly of um, well, one example in one of my schools where the school council constantly bemoaned the quality of the school meals, and they did this over months. And I had the head of the school meals come in from the catering company, and they lambasted him as well about how poor they thought the meals were. And they tried to make uh, certain tweaks to them, and they still complained. And in the end, we thought, okay, we'll, we'll take over the school kitchen then. And we did that, and when we did that, it immediately opened up all sorts of possibilities, such as procuring organic food locally, cutting back on meat, but not at, not at the expense of nutrition, um, in fact, just the opposite. And we had more take-up of school meals, we had less food waste, uh, and we, we embedded that in, as part of the curriculum. Uh, as I said earlier, we, um, we used some of the garden produce that the children grew, actually, uh, for part of the school meals. So there's lots that we can do on the ground now um, because at the moment uh, we'll be waiting quite a long time for, for governments to catch up with all this. And even if they do, perhaps even then they, they won't get it. And I think, um, I mean, even, even in the news recently about you know, the problems of, of shipping and having to go around longer routes because of, of the war, etc. You start to see our supply chains are so fragile that we need a more local, localized approach. And schools can be at the vanguard of this. And there are models out there uh, to, to show how, how this can be done. And it can all enrich the, ed the education of the children at the same time. So there's lots of big wins here um, that's not predicated on, say, economic growth and happiness through being, being rich. Um, so... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to play for, really, but I think school leaders need to have some moral imperative to actually implement it. And and if they can, we've got lots of examples out there. If they if they can and do, then uh, they say yeah, everyone everyone benefits, and you can still have a good Ofsted inspection. That's the beauty of it. So it's not as though it's either or. Um, you can enrich the curriculum, great experiential learning, motivated pupils, um, fantastic Ofsted inspections. So what's not to like? <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, Tandy, one thing I really want to discuss with you in, in, in particular with your experience of STEM and STEAM um, 
and it comes on the back of what David just almost alluded to. We've always done it that way. So let's have a look at actually go back into the why. Why are we having to purchase stuff from the other side of the world, especially about the food miles when we're looking at that? And why can we make that more localised? So how does the role of STEM, STEAM and technology and innovation play in enhancing sustainability? And how can schools leverage these effectively? I know you've already alluded to competitions um, and busters and a few other bits and pieces, but I want to see if you've got any other ideas you'd like to share with our listeners in that regard. I think the biggest um, impact a STEM lead or STEAM lead could have in a school is sharing their rationale with the wider staff body because the staff will do the speaking for you. So therefore, if I'm advocating for sustainability with sustainable practices within the school and I share the rationale of why we're doing it, because I can link it to the science, the technology, the engineering, the art and the mathematical aspects of it, it will give teachers that just extra little bit of knowledge they will know where to send students to for further discussions but students will also know that you as the lead is thinking about innovation and next steps and I think STEM leads should ideally go and speak to governors like I said speak to the head teacher um, head teachers and senior leaders should encourage teachers that have that responsibility to come to a meeting and share what their plan is as well. But more importantly, for me, it's about impact. How can I maximize impact across the school, across the community, across other schools as well? Because what happens when you go to STEM competitions is that your students are not just competing, they're also learning what other schools have done. And anything that we learn from there, we then bring back to our school and we share it with our student body in assemblies and in classrooms and things like that. And I think STEM leads can be quite fundamental at driving that change as well. So I would really encourage STEM leads to share the rationale. It shouldn't be an isolated role. And I think a lot of schools have them. If schools don't have STEM leads, but they have science clubs, it's the same sort of rationale as well. Um, but also young teachers that are thinking, what can I contribute to a school community? Um, sustainability is a huge area. There's lots of projects and areas that young teachers could contribute to schools as well. So I think just share your rationale and really map it out. Brilliant. Now, as we start to um, wrap up and think about putting some of those fantastic ideas and examples that you have both shared from your fast experience, um, and I know we won't be able to cover everything in this episode, and I think the time has actually just flown away this evening, and I really enjoyed our conversation. I want to think about what are some of those then um, advice would you suggest to school leaders? Um, and I'm, I'm particularly saying to school leaders, because often they have a lot of influence, it could be teachers as well, to start their journey in embedding sustainability across every facet of school life. And what are some of those quick things that they could do, some of those behaviour changes, some of those curriculum tweaks 
some of those operational aspects as we're coming up to almost budget windows and everything else what are some of those things that you would want to say to every school leader uh, or every teacher um, that is listening to the show so they can start their journey on sustainability david i'll start with you and give tandia a minute or so to have a think there's no one size fits all for schools uh, or for school leaders for that matter because they are still very individual circumstances but i would say um you look at um sustainability through uh, operations that might be the way to start if the school if the senior leadership of the school really um hasn't tuned into sustainability sufficiently because i mean particularly these days if you can save energy and you can save on water etc um, and other aspects of procurement then the school can save vast amounts of money and, and money talks uh, to senior leaders particularly in these straightened times so then if you can uh, extend that to showing them how you can use that in the curriculum then they've got the the added benefit then because we, it gets back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, experiential learning first-hand learning um, and then from that then you can start to explore other aspects of sustainability through um, the, the citizenship the humanities side that, that, that we've both given examples for um, in other schools uh, it might be starting with the humanities side and, and working towards the sciences because I know that I've worked with schools that have been very strong in terms of social sustainability uh, some of them have been a a rights respecting school for instance but they haven't done much in terms of the the natural science and the stem steam uh, side of it so you can start by looking at their strengths in terms of their social sustainability and then show them links to the the natural sciences from that and show how they how they're complementary so it it's a it's a matter really of um of looking at each school or cluster of schools um, and seeing what their strengths are and see if you can build upon those strengths uh, and allow them to develop uh, sustainability from their existing strengths rather than going in and criticizing them a bit like Ofsted might do and say, well, you've got to address this weakness and that weakness and, and the other weakness. So I think the beauty of it, once again, is that if you have a sustainability uh, lens for all this, then you can build upon strengths, which I think is a far more positive thing than and honing in on the on the weaknesses because often if you if you build up on your strengths then you you can address weaknesses just just by um going through that process anyway and i think that that would be the way forward um in in you know from day one um as we stand at the moment and you tandy what what what, what would you want to say to everyone that's listening um, I think I had, I had very similar points to David. I said, I think leaders need to take an audit, not in a scary way, but talk to staff, talk to students, talk to parents, talk, tell them what you're trying to do and ask for ideas from them as well. One of the best conversations I've had this year with my head is we had evaporators when we had a heat wave and there's quite a few evaporators around school. And 
my head came to me and spoke to me about the efficiency of those evaporators and their impact on the environment because he knew that I would have thought about the sustainable side because should he buy more evaporators because we've already got some and kit all of the rooms or should are there more sustainable practices that we should be thinking about? And I may not have had all the answers, but at least there's that conversation. I may know someone I've met at an event that I could put him in touch to. So I think being honest that you're working together as a team and talking to everyone involved and looking for ideas um, is a, a first step for me. Brilliant. And I think tonight we have covered an awful lot of bits and pieces but i really want to get a one sentence from both of you saying why sustainability is an important um, aspect that we should be integrating and embedding um into every facet of education and we will then do our closing remarks from there but i have to say before um, you answered that question. I'd say thank you very much to both of you. You've both got a massive array of experience. You have embedded this within your own schools um, and the schools you have worked with and the conversations you've had and the competitions you've won as well. So if you want to find any more, feel free to follow David and Tandy both on uh, Twitter. And they have some fantastic um, array of ideas that you can go and continue that conversation with. So, David, what's one sentence or two? I'll give you that. Um, do you want to um, sum up like why is sustainability important in education? Well, I think if you believe, like I do, that sustainability is literally life, the universe, and everything, then if schools see it as a peripheral matter, then they're missing a big trick. Um, so, I think it does need to be embedded for all our sakes going forward uh, so that um, we can have a, a happier future because it, it doesn't have to be sackcloth and ashes. It can be um, high quality living rather than just surviving. So I think it's got a lot to offer schools and I think schools have a moral imperative to embed it. Fantastic, that moral imperative. And Tandy, what's your closing remark? Our young people's future relies on our current actions. Therefore, us being sustainable and teaching sustainability impacts all future generations. Thank you both once again for joining me this evening. And thank you all for listening and contributing to tonight's show on Teachers Talk Radio. I hope you have enjoyed this very much in-depth conversation about sustainability and we continue it. To listen back to Teachers Talk radio shows, please download the Poppy app or visit your favourite podcast player and search Teachers Talk Radio. You can also visit ttradio.org forward slash listen back. Follow us on Twitter or X at TT Radio Official and tweet us using the hashtag TT Radio. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this evening. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.